These are the daily lectionary comments for February the 3rd. We're going to look at the last chapter of Zechariah. We're going to finish up Zechariah with a sweeping view of the end times. And then uh, we're going to look at uh, the, the second half of Titus. This is, we're finishing up Titus as well. Uh, we're going to look at good works and sound um, speech uh, and uh, the, the, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, which baptism brings. All right, in Zechariah chapter 14, imagine that this prophet of the Old Testament in, uh, let's say, 518 B.C., has visions of the New Testament times, of the future of the people of God uh, after the coming of the Christ. So he's going to describe the spiritual warfare of the end times, the, the victory of the people of God. He's going to describe the horrors of the last day. He's going to describe the new world beyond that last day going to describe the ultimate battle between God and all of his earthly enemies. He's also going to describe uh, the, uh, uh, how the, the people of the world, uh, how they will be brought to, into Israel and joined with God's people. He's going to be describing all of these things, and he's going to be using the, uh, describing them in terms that a, a 6th century BC prophet living in Israel uh, would understand. Okay, He's not necessarily going to be using the same words that Jesus used or the same words that Revelation uses to describe the final last battle. But when you look through this vision in chapter 14, a series of statements about what's coming, you can see what he is describing. He is describing the spiritual warfare. For example, when he talks about God is going to bring the nations against, uh, against Jerusalem. And, uh, and Jerusalem is going to be partially conquered. And yet Jerusalem, uh, many in Jerusalem are going to be uh, rescued by God's uh, powerful hand. Um, is very much describing the nature of spiritual warfare, especially as it's pictured in Revelation, and especially as we expect it to occur in the very end times, in the very last days. Um, he talks about uh, God coming with all of his holy ones, which is just like uh, Jesus spoke, uh, you know, that the angels are going to come in a final, uh, a final harvest. Uh, he talks about the desolations of the nations and, and how Israel will be um, uh, uh, ultimately uh, something that overthrows the nations, which is exactly what the people of God are doing now. They are overthrowing the nations uh, by means of the preaching of the gospel. Uh, and ultimately, the nations will be overthrown uh, as well when Christ comes again uh, and wars will cease uh, to the ends of the earth and forevermore. We see, um, you know, he talks about uh, Jerusalem being split, you know, as though the Lord is standing like a giant and splitting uh, uh, the Mount of Olives off from, from uh, Jerusalem and a giant cavern in between where God's people can flee and be safe. Much like uh, Revelation talks about the woman fleeing into the uh, into the wilderness and 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 then uh, Satan trying to to drown her with a flood, but the earth opens up and and swallows up the uh, the, the water. I mean, those kinds of uh, majestic um, uh, majestic scenes. Um, you, you ha he talks about this 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 day, a day like no other, uh, that will not be. 
exactly light or uh, a dark, uh, then uh, it says, uh, then the Lord our God will come. Uh, this is verse uh, five. And all his holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. There it shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. Um, living waters. He talks about living waters flowing out of Jerusalem to the east and to the west. Think about how Ezekiel also talks about the waters flowing from the throne of God. And, and think about how uh, in the New Testament, water is used as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, which is flowing out uh, from, from Zion, the, 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 uh, the, the holy church of God, and flowing into the uh, entire world. He talks about the, the new um, the geography. The mountains in, uh, in Jerusalem will be, uh, will be flat, uh, and, but Jerusalem will still be above, uh, above uh, the rest of the plain. So people will still be looking up to the holy city and the holy city will be secure and there will be no more devastations on the city and it will be inhabited. And the idea of the mountains being flat uh, is, is not that God has anything against mountains, but the, the world is becoming a new place, uh, a place uh, which is much more hospitable uh, to life. Uh, uh, and much easier to walk uh, around, for example. It talks about, he talks about the survivors of the nations who will come uh, and worship the king. Uh, and what a, a beautiful way of depicting the uh, mission of the New Testament church going out to the nations so that they will come to Jerusalem and worship the king. Well, uh, uh, you know, that's, they're not physically going to a place called Jerusalem. That's not the point. Uh, the point is that, uh, however, they are coming to the church. And when they get to the church, they worship uh, the king, the one uh, true king. And, and um, <clears throat> just a variety of other little things in here that, that just shows that what he's looking at uh, is are events that are going to happen uh, well, frankly, after after the uh, the one that they pierced and they mourn over, uh, after after Christ comes and they pierce God again uh, by rejecting Him, after the shepherd is struck uh, and and uh, and God's hands is turned against the little ones uh, before He begins the process of saving the remnant and purifying them, um, all of these things here are in Zechariah 14. Now. Uh, they are not like in chronological order, and he's not saying this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. They're a little bit jumbled up, and yet there is a basic flow to them, and they finish like so many of the prophet's words with the nations coming to God, the nations coming to join themselves to Israel, which, which is how an Old Testament prophet would describe uh, Gentiles coming into the church. The church, which is the body of Christ, the King of the Jews, it, it we are grafted in uh, to uh, to Israel. We become a part of Israel, and that's exactly how Zechariah is speaking here now. Okay, well, we have finished the book of Zechariah, uh, filled with many interesting images and things like that. Uh, it can sometimes be a difficult read, and yet at other times it, it just is very beautifully eliciting the, the kind of. Um, uh, uh, relationship that God has had with his people. Uh, and, and so Zechariah is both looking backwards before the exile and to the exile. He's also looking forward to events uh, in the messianic kingdom. Uh, so we'll finish with that. And starting tomorrow, we'll begin with the book of Job.
Now we're starting at Titus now, um, verse seven, uh, chapter two, verse seven, and going to the end of the book. Um, three chapters in this book, and they're short chapters. Here, like with uh, Paul's letters to Timothy, here with Titus, uh, we see him really talking to a young pastor and and talking to them, explaining, mentoring, exhorting, and teaching them as pastors how to pastor the people of God. What sorts of things that the pastors need to be able to do uh, in, in order to care for the flock of God. There's a lot of uh, emphasis in, in, this, in this reading on good works. You'll notice that expression. Now, all over the place, it's talking about good works, but it actually uses the expression good works many times. Look at verse 7, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, and chapter 2, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 1, and verse 8, and verse 14 of chapter 3, all use this expression good works. There are a number of other places in this chapter where he's talking about and describing what good works we are to be doing. And he begins uh, by exhorting uh, Titus to show himself to be a model of good works. So one thing that a pastor should do is to be a model of good works and sound speech. That is good teaching, proper doctrine. Um, He says uh, in, in chapter two, verse 15, he says, declare these things to the people. Um, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, remind them of these things. Uh, um, uh, <clears throat> and, and so in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, insist on these things. I mean, he's really uh, really laying it on Titus how important it is uh, that, uh, that, we, that he put before the people sound teaching and good works, examples of good works, so that they will grow up in them. Uh, and, and they will live in them, and they will serve God by means of doing good works. Now, uh, let's take a look at a beautiful uh, example of, um, of uh, how we are to live. I mean, it says here in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to do what? to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing uh, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Well, what a wonderful way to describe what the Christian life should look like. We're waiting for Jesus to return, Jesus who has redeemed us. We are renouncing all um, ungodliness and we're living self-controlled, upright lives in the present age so that the word of God is not reviled and so that we fulfill what Jesus commands us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Hallowed be thy name, we pray. And by means of holy living, uh, of, of, of righteous living, of the redeemed, uh, we sanctify God's name. Now, one last thing I want to talk about um, uh, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and following. Give us a beautiful description of the power of baptism. It does not use the word baptism, but you'll see by the, the language that's using what he's talking about. It says he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. <coughs> so he didn't save us because we earned it in any way. 
He saved us because of his mercy, because of God's grace, because that's the way he is. Specifically, this is how his mercy was sown to us, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and he uses the word washing because the, he, is, he is talking about the Holy Spirit as given to us in our baptism, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the language of washing and poured out on us is capturing the language of baptism. And of course, the active ingredient in baptism is the Holy Spirit working through the word. The baptism itself, the water and the ritual itself is like a, a living, active, uh, acted out word of God. And the active ingredient in the word, which makes it, gives it its saving power, is the Holy Spirit. And this is the thing that regenerates. It changes us. Uh, it, it leads us into a new life and gives to us power so that we may do these good works, so that we may live uh, uh, and renounce ungodliness and, and live self-control uh, lives and all of that. Okay, so whom, this is verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, he says. Okay, um, having been justified by grace. It's interesting that in the small catechism, you know, you would think that in, in a catechism, uh, Luther's small catechism, I mean, justification by grace would be front and center. Justification by faith through grace, or uh, uh, by grace through faith, it, that you'd be like front and center. And yet, when you read the catechism, it never says that until it gets to the, the part on baptism. Part four, uh, baptism, uh, and, and the third question regarding baptism uh, is regarding the blessings of baptism, and it cites this passage, quite uh, 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 lengthy uh, citation, to talk about justification by grace uh, in baptism. This is where we get the, our ultimate uh, sort of foundation for our life with God is the promises that he's made to us and the Holy Spirit given to us in holy baptism. That's when we move from the darkness to the light, from death to life, from hopelessness to hope. And there we get uh, the hope of eternal life. Uh, and we can become heirs of this. So we live our life from now on looking forward to what we will have when God's promises for us are fulfilled uh, in, in the, revel in the uh, resurrection. Okay, so that is enough for Titus, and until tomorrow.